Hello, and welcome to Reptoy Screenings, Episode 6. I'm your host, M, and with me are my regular co-host, Jackson. Hello. And Destiny. Hello. And we're here to talk about movies. It feels like it's been, uh, like, three months, and it's been two weeks because I've been sick this entire two-week period. <laughs> We've missed, like, one podcast, and it wasn't one of these, but it's thrown no. us all the way off. I just feel like I've been adrift in, like, a, like a void forever. Uh, and it's only been a week and a half, really, that I've been super debilitatingly sick. I'm mostly getting fine now. But it does feel like I haven't even thought about movies in a thousand years. Just completely, completely off the planet. Yeah, that's basically what happened. It was, it was very disorienting. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> don't be sick. It's my advice. Yeah. Good advice, good advice. We don't really talk about movies much here, aside from the ones that we're covering. Uh, Jackson, did you want to talk about anything you've seen recently? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I rewatched all the Bourne movies. Oh, Kems. Kems! <laughs> the Bourne movie nobody remembers. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really bad. Um, they tried to give that to Jeremy Renner so much, and they just whiffed <laughs> it. And then Mission Impossible also tried to give it to Jeremy Renner <laughs> with that, too. Uh, the fact that Simon Pegg outlives Jeremy Renner is very funny to me. Because he's also terrible, but in a much more powerful way for movie studios, I guess. He just shows Yeah, but at least, at least Simon Pegg still has, like, charisma. Jeremy Renner yes. is the most fucking nothing human on the wor- in the planet. Like, I'd rather have, like, <laughs> Sam Worthington show up than Jeremy Renner. But before we get to fucking where the cams, um, I want the the original three Bourne movies, specifically the first one, uh, is really good. Uh, my, my friend rewatched them and was talking about them. So it's like, oh, I'll, I'll put them on. Why not? They're, they're going to be fun to watch uh, while eating dinner. And um, I, I really like them. I think that first movie which is the one, Which is the one with Carl Urban in it? Uh, that's the second one. That's the one I liked the most. Uh, that that is a valid take. Um, I I think the first one's better, but they're all pretty good. The the main three are all pretty good. Um, yep. There was a fourth uh, Matt Damon one, right? Yes, I haven't seen that one yet because okay. I can't watch five movies in a week between everything else. No, I I don't blame <laughs> you. I'm so, I'm amazed you watched four. To be perfectly honest, I, I really <laughs> just meant to watch the one, but then I had to keep going uh, through the first three because they're very watchable. And then I was like, well, I can't I can't stop. <laughs> you have to watch the cams. I have to remember how the cams are. Uh, and the answer is they're terrible. Uh, Nobody remembers that- this. This is only a meme because of like film Twitter at the moment this movie came out. It's so <laughs> he stupid. He needs his blues and his greens. And even in this conversation that I tried talking about the original movies, we've mostly joked about Kevs. The thing is, it could be like uh, a crank style like meme of him just going around yelling about cams. The movie is not actually that, unfortunately. Okay, so apparently I'm just not going to talk about the good movies. But there are two incredible movies that the Jeremy Renner one could be. One of them is him yelling about the cams. Uh, yeah, non-stop. that's crank two, but born. <laughs> the other one is a born movie that's just the CIA scenes. Everyone going, ah, fuck, the whole thing got leaked. It should be amazing. That should be a slam dunk. Uh, and they fucked up on both accounts. I don't even remember the CIA stuff in Born 4. Uh, Ed Norton's pretty good, but it, it's not like, it doesn't go anywhere because it's basically the first two acts of a movie, then it stops. Oh, right. Um, but Modern Ed Norton films. is. Yeah, Ed Norton's trying very hard to be very good in that movie, but he, you know, he, he can't do it alone. He's no Joan Allen. He's no, he's no Joan Allen. <laughs> Ed Norton's no Joan Allen. These are the takes you come here for. Uh,. The thing that I will say is that in the first movie that surprised me that the character work is just good. Like, there's a romance in that movie and it works in an action movie that everyone saw. Amazing. Incredible things. Incredible scenes. I don't remember this at all. (laughs) Would never happen today. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I had a good time. Anyone else watching any movies or have you been too sick? I've been too sick. Uh, well, we watched a movie that we are, or you're going to talk about on another podcast. Yes. And then I watched, uh, just Thursday night, uh, the n- latest Ari Oster film, Midsommar, which was very, very good. Would you like to talk about it? What sure. It is? It's about these, um, this handful of grad students, one of them, the tragedy-stricken girlfriend of a really, really shitty guy go to Sweden because one of them has this uh, 
like village that does this ritual every 90 years and this is the first time they're doing it or it's a festival not a ritual uh and so they all go to the village to see it and uh gruesome things happen and it's a pretty entertaining film really really colorful um it just felt like one of those movies that you could like see, smell, taste, and touch. Like it was just really pretty. Like Sweden looked really beautiful, even though it's a terrifying setting. Cause it's this village of people with like strange, uh, pre-Christian practices that like, if you know anything about like even folk magic, from any country it's not that weird like lots of runes and people putting their body parts in food to like seduce somebody and uh bodily fluids and food like that kind of stuff if you know anything about that it's not that weird but uh it definitely obviously since it's a horror film it goes to uh extremes past that and i don't know i really liked it uh, I also showed you a movie that you uh, watched right after we recorded last time that you loved. Oh, we haven't talked about it? No. We watched Yajimbo. Yeah. I love Yajimbo. I also watched Yajimbo. Because you watched Yajimbo and were like, yo, Yajimbo. And I was like, yeah, it's okay, I'll join so you in this good. land. Was it your first time seeing it yes. too? Yes. It's oh, so good. I can't believe... I ever thought Quentin Tarantino was original. <laughs> I mean, like, I know that's, like, his thing is, is combining these retro pastiches and make, making them all modern. But, like, this movie is so cool. And, like, the kind of cool it displays is so ahead of its time. Oh, I love it so much. Uh, yeah. Also, just Cowboy Bebop. Every character in there is from Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> <laughs> Every single one. 100%. Oh, well, with that all taken care of, because I sure didn't watch any movies other than, I guess, Yojimbo, which I'd seen before. It's very good. Um, we should get into our movie this uh, week. This I, Every time. Every time I almost say month. You can just say week. Yeah. No one uh, will mind. This time, we watched Mikey and Nikki, which is a 1976 film written and directed by Elaine May, starring Peter Falk and John Cassavetes. Uh, it is about one very long, bad night. Uh with two gangsters, uh, mob middlemen. Uh, uh, Nikki, who's John Cassavetes, calls up Mikey for help, uh, who's Peter Falk, because he's in trouble and he thinks he has a contract out on him to get murdered. And they are old friends from childhood. And they decide, and uh, Mikey's like, okay, I'll help you out. I'll get you out of town, get you set up. Uh, and then there's questions of whether or not uh, Mikey is in on getting him killed or wants to get him killed. And they have a lot of conflict about their friendship that has deteriorated over the last 30 years. And that's that's the movie. That's what we're going to be talking about today. I had not seen this. Uh, I'd never even heard of it until it hit Criterion, and then people were tweeting about how good it was. And so I was like, you know what? Let's take a chance. Uh, I want to watch all the Elaine May movies at some point in my life, uh, and so might as well start here. Uh, so that is why I picked this, mostly out of a hat. Uh, and I guess I'll go first. I thought this movie was absolutely incredible. It's phenomenal! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the In a movie that is like... You know, like a postmodern gangster film, but way before you think of, you know, Goodfellas doing that. Uh, it is just exceptionally well written and acted the hell out of. And part of that is Elaine May's, uh, ridiculous shooting schedule and plan for this movie. Um, the yes. one production that Wikipedia has, uh, is she just burned through film. Like she shot more film for this than was shot for Gone with the Wind because she just left the cameras rolling for hours. Uh, just to watch the actors interact or leave the set, come on the set, uh, try to catch things that are, uh, you know, unintended. Um, well, she ridiculous. And Cass oh, sorry uh, to interrupt, but she and no, Cassavetes were like method actors and had trained with that sort of like, you know, the reality is between the relationships of the characters and not the story. 
Uh, you make your own story as an actor to bring to the screen. So she wanted as much footage of Falcon Cassavetes as she could get. <laughs> yep. Uh, there's a funny story where, like, she left the film rolling after they had left, and someone yelled cut, and she got mad at them because they weren't the director. And they're like, well, the actors are gone. And she's like, well, they're the cameras are on in case they come back. Which raises a lot of questions to me as to where they could have gone, how the set was set up. Like, is there a part where they could be on the set but come back to the set? I don't know. Anyway, movie's amazing. Yes. Uh, it basically ends up functioning as... Um, I mean, this this obviously came first, but it, it's it's just like the before movies, but for gangsters, I guess. I would not have thought of it that way. It it is though. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, it's exactly what it is, and it's just a long conversation between these two guys, uh, and the way it goes into like their relationship and um, the tensions that have been playing on both of them for just their entire lives is really good. Um, th- you get a set, like such a strong sense of the like both the quiet and loud ways. Uh, the masculinity just ruins people. These people are just awful. They're awful to everyone else and to themselves. And the movie doesn't like have an answer for when they got broken, right? Like it's not one of those. Uh, but it, it does just like look at this like very pathetic friendship uh, and tries to ask, "What's going? What's going on here? What's up with this?" <laughs> uh, it's also about just sort of like when you have that friend that you're always bailing out and always saving, like, what is that relationship? <laughs> uh, like, the way that Falk is so gentle with him when he, like, first gets to the hotel at the very beginning, and then uh, when you find out later, like, oh, he, this you know this is all a setup and it it seems so but all the the tenderness in the first half of the film is so real that you just have a hard time reconciling the two faces that he's kind of showing uh cassavetes ha faces cassavetes get it no Cassavetes made a film called Faces. All right. (laughs) Movie joke on the movie podcast. (laughs) I'm Um, still, I'm still uh, over here reeling because I've been saying Cassavetes in my head this entire time. Really? (laughs) Yeah. No one said it out loud. There's a song by La Tigra called "What's Your Take on Cassavetes?" So every time I hear his name, I think or see him. I think of that song, and the chorus is just, What's your take on Cassavetes? So it's just, uh, this song has been in my head for two days straight. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, it's uh, that tenderness is uh, interesting in that I, th- if it, I think it is genuine. It's very easy to be tender when you're like longtime friend, you know he's going to get shot in 45 minutes, and then that doesn't happen, and you have to sit with the asshole for another <laughs> six hours, just <laughs> getting more and more fed up with his bullshit as you're reminded how much he sucks. Uh, yeah, because he comes in and basically the start of the movie, he thinks he's just doing an of mice of men situation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's just going to be give give his friend the 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 best sending off he can. It's just the way of the world, and his friend just will not cooperate. Nikki is on one. Uh, so like, <laughs> yes. And, and, is it? Oh, oh sorry, sorry. You I was go. just going to ask: Is it because he knows what's like he knows, or do you think? I think I think on some level he kind of knows that this is all like a bad because he always talks about like it's stuffy in here I need to get out like he has like this sense that there's something wrong, um, but I don't think he like intu- like consciously knows he just has the devil's own luck which is why Mikey hates him right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah like he's just a man who has like fucked everything up but fallen upwards in doing so and Mikey is like consistent but in like a really annoying dogged way that nobody likes. Um, yeah, no, he's and so of course around. the two, of course the two just resent each other because their differences are like so in conflict with each other. But it's gotten them both like to go upwards in life in this horrible situation. 
and then Mikey like turns on the nuclear power and is like, "That's gonna be fine because I'm Homer Simpson." This <laughs> 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 is what I think of whenever this kind of relationship shows up. It is uh, a very Frank Grimes Homer <laughs> Frank Simpson Grimes. relationship, isn't it? Yep, um, to a T. Yeah, <laughs> even one of them dies. <laughs> sure does. <laughs> Drink the channel much. <laughs> uh, the the way the scenes like progress and the slow revealing of the information about like what's going on in the night is so good. Like the first, I think it's like you get twenty minutes of that first uh, section of the hotel or so. Maybe it's not twenty, but it, it could be anywhere from between like ten minutes to half an hour. Like time kind of disappears during these exhausting scenes. You get mm-hmm. so much information too early on about these two men and their situation. <laughs> In a way that I found really impressive. Uh, yeah, and it's re- it's really good. Like the when when they started bringing the um, like cutaways to the hitman into the movie, I was at first like, I don't know about this, uh, because you know it had been such a like basically a two hand play for so long. You're like, oh, is, I, is it gonna like, is it gonna keep the same energy up? Uh, but then it immediately starts like playing with that as uh, there's this incredible sequence where it's just both of them like little um, Mikey looks at the phone because he's using the phone to secretly communicate with the hitman uh, and Nikki's like noticing him looking at the phone and like trying to work out what he's doing and he can't tell if he's just being paranoid or if he's actually been you know if he's being set up or what um, and then uh, just the tension in those scenes is so good because like the Mikey doesn't like Mikey doesn't hate Nikki because he's gonna because uh, he's gonna get killed, right? Mikey hates Nikki because he he's known him all his life and he loves him as well. Like that's the relationship exists separate to the circumstances of this specific murder. Oh yeah, like one of the I think most revealing scenes about uh, Mikey is near the very end. Where he is alone with his wife, and he knows Nikki's gonna show up, and he's just, they've been up all night. His wife, because they have a child, a a five-year-old named Harold, which is the most 70s thing that ever happened to anyone, (laughs) Uh, and and she's been kind of keeping, waiting up for him, and then he's been out, you know, uh, Nikki's been sending him, essentially, just like in every part of the city, the whole night and they're talking and he just starts asking her questions about people from his childhood like did i ever tell you about my brother izzy who died when i was 10 or he was 10 i think uh, and i was a kid and uh he starts like things that nikki knew intimately about him he's like talking to his wife about them for the first time i thought that was really interesting i really like that scene because it's like both the him like revealing the, the the intimacy he has with Nikki and not with other people, but also the way he's telling these stories, it's not the same. Like Nikki kind of knows what the deal is with all the situations, and then he's telling his wife he can't like bring himself to admit how bad he feels about all these circumstances when he was a kid, how much re- resentment he has towards even his dead brother. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just very sad as you see like. The, the way that this guy has been completely unable to let go of any kind of uh, pain um, that has just come with being a kind of uh, not cool guy, right? Like, he's not the big masculine person who's going to just be an arsehole and fuck up and fall his way to the top. But he's still a shitty dude, and he internalizes that in all the worst ways. Um, and the scene where that kind of comes out with his wife is just... Uh, it's a lot. It's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, also, just the women in this film. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Just mountains of bullshit put upon every single woman in this film. I guess there's only, what, three or four of them? There's the two. There's there's the two wives, the mother-in-law. Oh, yes, the mother-in-law. I forgot about her. (laughs) There's the baby, the little baby, who gets a, you know, little scene. (laughs) But, like, I think that interaction is worth mentioning. Like, he thinks he's this, he's gonna be this, uh, father. Like, he's just entitled to 
this relationship with this kid even though he lives this lifestyle and he's obviously like a terrible person and terrible like the wife the relationship it's not even his wife it's his ex-wife like she's left him she's moved in with her mom with the kid and he just doesn't seem to grasp the enormity of his mistakes Uh, but, yeah, but I think the like biggest interaction is with uh, Nellie, who's played by Kelly yes. Grace. Sorry, um, I like totally didn't mean to skip over her. She's the most important. This is the only movie she ever did. What the yep. fuck? Apparently, yeah. apparently, she's the inspiration for Holly Golightly and Breakfast at Tiffany's. At this point, she was Walter Matthau's wife. Um, so she's just in these scenes. She's not. A, I don't think she's like a professional actor in that way. Like well, not a film actor. She's really yeah, no, good. She, this, she did not do any other films. Uh, it's very amazing how good she is in this. Oh, and she's she's essentially this woman that Nikki kind of keeps on the side. And he's spread all these awful rumors about her. And, like, um, I think as Nathan Raven put it, like, she gets uh, treated badly for putting out to everyone and then punish when she doesn't put out and it's just the worst my assumption is that she just likes him like she doesn't she's not like he he has to assume because she likes him and he is like because all these men are self-loathing that she must be like a sex worker right like to him that's the only reason that she would ever be interested in him he's got a wife whatever when he is just the guy who can charm anyone because he's like that and doesn't know how to not be that can go to anyone into anything against their better judgment. So she likes him and hates that. And then he like sublimates that into thinking, oh, she just must be like this with everyone. But she's not like, that's not who the character is, right? Like she's just accidentally fallen for this bad guy. I think she also, excuse me. I think it's heavily implied that like she is smarter than people think she is. Like well, yeah. there's just a lot of like, I feel like she's had to deal with just, like, I mean, I guess it's everyone in this movie, but, like, the the perception of her as, like, well, I'm pretty, I can't be smart, but I am smart, and she's, like, trying to prove it, but then, like, at the same time, her, like, intellect is undermined by her feelings, you know? Like, if she really was smart, maybe, like, she wouldn't put up with guys like him like that's the kind of vibe that i feel like she was giving off like obviously she's still smart like who she sleeps with does not determine her intelligence what i'm saying is i think there's a self-loathing streak in her as well yeah i would agree with that like like she's interested in this guy this like these characters should not ever exist in the same orbit like universe at all like right because like nikki just sucks he's like a shitty con man guy he's the wire season two and she's just (laughs) like a normal person uh who has like managed to get in with this rough crowd and knows that they are a rough crowd and probably enjoys that on some level, but also is like totally repelled by it. And when like the reality of it, like when it's just Nikki, it's easy to put up with and be like, Oh, he's just like that. He's a character. And I kind of find that appealing But the minute someone else shows up within that it's intolerable, right? Like the ways in which he interfaces with her through like how he talks to other men, uh, horrify and repulse her because they should, cause they're fucking gross. Cause he's a gross person, but it's easy to be charmed by a gross person person in a vacuum right like that's nikki's whole deal yeah like nikki's whole deal is he's like being a different person to every person he meets but not in like an intentional like he's just floating between it and acting in his self-interest in what what he wants with the person he's in front of him at all times right because then Mm -hmm. after that scene you have the incredible i i think that entire like scene in in her apartment is like the standout scene of the film um Mm -hmm. because for one it's just incredibly shot like it's the they have the red light in the back room uh they turn all the lights off in the apartment and it's just showing off uh and two like the ways in which like the scene contrasts nikki's like shittiness as he's kind of like 
forcing himself on this girl but she's like still kind of likes him and and is like it's just like being a very messy scene and then it like brings mikey into that where he's like oh this is just she's just uh she's just a sex worker you know this is fine this is what you do this is how it works and then she's just not having that bites him and i think i'm fairly sure they both i know nikki uh, uh slaps her later but i think they both like attack her in this scene but in just very different ways uh, mm. and the ways in which this like shows a portrait of two very different fragile kinds of like uh masculine interaction and the violence that is like beneath the surface on both of them uh is really interesting to me because i i, I feel like the time i don't remember exactly so if i'm wrong i'm wrong but my reaction to this um on first watch was that none of the like violence from the men was unprovoked right like it was always in response to something uh the the woman in the scene did but to like remind them that that violence is like there if they want to exert their agency like that's exactly what Mm. fucking mikey does in that scene is that she bites him and then he responds by slapping her and it's just like really jarring and a reminder of the like violence that could just be enacted at any moment on any it's a very surprising moment or at least it was for me in the character of mickey mikey because Mm. Like, when he first sits down, I, I couldn't tell, and I don't know, maybe it's like a generational thing, I could not tell that he was trying to seduce her. I thought he was just trying to, like, deflect and change the subject because he saw that she was clearly uncomfortable. So I was surprised when he starts touching her and it's clear that he's, like, trying to get on with her. And... Uh, I was surprised that it went as far as it did because I thought he would be like, I thought he was going to be, um, you know, polite. And <laughs> I didn't, that actually surprised me. Did it surprise both of you? I mean, I think that's kind of like, her? that's kind of like the point of the movie to me on yeah. like a broader scale. Yeah. We're like, at the beginning, Mikey comes in and he's super sweet to Nikki. He's like, okay, I'm going to take care of you, get you cleaned up. You got an ulcer, I'm going to go get some cream. Goes down to like the diner and cajoles the guy into selling him cream and then the minute the guy goes to actually do what he wants like snaps like 30 seconds after the conflict was resolved and like leaps over the counter and goes to strangle the guy uh and like that's just who mikey is like he has like this movie is about like the characters that are like the charming mobster that you kind of like even though you know they're bad guys in other movies but just stretched out long enough to see that no these people are violent and awful and brutish in every aspect of their life and are miserable and there's nothing fun here like you get to have moments where you're like enjoying the ridiculousness of their situation and laughing at them as they like stumble through a cemetery in the middle of the night and like they're like mikey's apologizing to every grave he steps past you're like oh he's just a funny (laughs) character but no he's he's a violent person he does awful things and to bring you to that point where you have to reckon with the kind of character that is like an arc like a charming archetype in every other version of this movie but brought into like the light of day through this very long night um is good uh, it's I, that like it, it's the point of the movie to me yes, it's that tony soprano thing where it's like you get lulled into this uh false sense of security with oh well he's actually a teddy bear and then you forget oh he's a psychopath yeah. And with Mikey, I think a lot of it is because he thinks of himself as the guy who's the reasonable one. Like, he's going to be nice and he's going to be calm and he's going to talk to you like a normal person because he hangs around Nikki, who's just like a raving madman half the time, right? And so he gets to get away with stuff because he's that person. But the minute anyone puts up any defense to his, like, you know, mumbly nice guy act, uh, he just snaps and attacks them the same as Nikki would. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that scene, like, because that scene follows into the scene in the street, right? When where Mikey is furious and views this as like an intentional act of uh, posturing and superiority from Nikki, mm-hmm. and that's the thing uh, that um, that like breaks uh, that like actually breaks their friendship. Um, yeah. Whereas Nikki obviously hasn't like he hasn't done that intentionally because he doesn't he doesn't work on that level he's not no one's after Mikey Mikey's just uh, uh, terrified about that at all times always but Nikki's just like that 
Yeah. Uh, the fact that, like, you think they're, uh, like, the way that the plot is kind of laid out, like, you think, oh, he's going to take him to the airport, then, and then whatever is going to happen is going to happen, and it turns into, we're going to all these different places around the city, the Black Knight Club, the 24-hour movie theater, uh, uh, it, it, it almost seems like this isn't the first time N- Nikki's led Mikey around town like this on a weird night. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I also really just like mentioning the way that they all just go around to these places. The, the cutaways to the hitman constantly being a little late. <laughs> waiting at the movie theater forever it's hilarious this movie's really funny like we've had a big theme conversation talk but it's really good funny yeah uh the hitman is played by uh ned Beatty, who just yes. is like he shows up like he's like from another era than these men like these men are like realistic rugged kind of grimy 70s men and ned Beatty shows up like he's like from a 60s crime movie right like he's yes. just he like he's, he's all more put business. together he's more reserved but he's also like artificial and like sweaty in a way that's really uncomfortable and uh then proceeds to just get like clowned on for the entire film because he did not realize the kind of film that he was walking into and the kind of trouble he'd be putting up with like it opens with him very calmly writing down the directions in like the most like procedural like 70s thriller way like yes i'll be there and and then have 45 minutes and then you come out and i'll get it done as he writes down the address to this bar and then he proceeds to go the wrong direction and ask like a like a newspaper a stand guy where he's at and the guy's like oh no you want uh south 36th street you need to go north to get there <laughs> uh just like the most obtuse like i'm from out of town directions uh in that scene i turned to destiny i'm like you know this would never have happened to brother muzone <laughs> who is like this archetype of cool <laughs> yeah the fact yep. that he's not cool at all is really great like he spends the whole movie complaining about how much everything costs Yes. And it's like you're a hitman. <laughs> it's like this isn't making money for you. Don't be a hitman. <laughs> All of his conversations are about like gas and you know, yeah. the expenses of the job and having to and deal like, with these children. Basically, it's really funny. Uh, for context, Ed, uh, Ned Beatty had just done Network, and mm-hmm. in that movie, his character is big, big, big. Uh, he even, I think, got an Oscar nomination. And so, like, they tried to, like, just make this character the most stripped-down, plain-talking, not-at-all-flashy-acting kind of character <laughs> in contrast to that. Because it was, like, within a year... I think those roles are only, like, a year apart. Mm-hmm. But even then, yeah, he's really great in this to say that, like, his character is just kind of whining the whole film. <laughs> the scene that's the culmination of that, that is like, uh, Mikey and him, they've gone to the bus guy and they're basically explaining why Nikki's not dead by having what can only be described as the world's longest post apprentice briefing. Uh, <laughs> as they're like well if you if you see if he would arrived at the, the thing on time then he would have done this and the other one tries to shift blame this and then there's a really long conversation about like they're like we're gonna stake out your house he's gonna come for you then then mikey then we'll wait we'll, we'll we'll wait outside your house and then we'll get him there uh and then mikey is like well you can't do that because uh there's no parking and then he's like, what do you mean there's no parking? And then he's like, well, there's patrol cars, so you can't park there. And he goes, there's like, well, we'll go around the block. And he's like, well, we'll notice. Well, we'll go around two blocks. We'll still notice, you idiot. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's amazing. The, like, the, and it, it goes so far. And like, especially coming after all the character work in the movie, just the, the levels that these pathetic like mobsters will go to to just uh argue these minutiae where it's really just like posturing about power right like that's what all these scenes are um mm-hmm. uh, is very good yeah i like that the mob boss is um Stan- sanford meisner who was the meisner technique uh acting teacher it's a really weird role for a guy like that <laughs> Uh, I was just looking up Ned Beatty, and this is also a year after his turn in All the President's Men, which I think is very funny. 
Yeah. Uh, that's so funny. Yeah, I was wondering if uh if if uh You know actually same year. Same year. So This was uh, a banner year for Beatty. I, <laughs> I did watch this and was like, I need to I just need to watch seventies movies all the time. Yes, no, same. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I at the beginning of this I was like, if every movie just looked like this still, I would go to the movies every week. Every yeah, fucking week. There is something to be said about New York in the seventies that I will just never recover from. It's what? It's Philadelphia. Oh, sorry. Don't worry, I did this when watching Rocky. Oh, okay. <laughs> it, well, either wait, way. Is it really? For some reason, I also thought it was uh, New York City, so... No, this is Philadelphia. I, I, it was on the Wikipedia page. Okay. Wow. Good. That's very but, funny. But me, in being in the UK, every time I see someone like walk yeah. underneath dark train tracks, I'm like, oh, New York. Yep. <laughs> 70s, yep. I get you. Uh, but no, I've seen a lot of movies that are that, but just, you know, a different East Coast city. <laughs> yep. Uh, I did want to talk a little bit about, uh, Mikey's wife, who is, uh, a weird character that we keep coming back to, who just seems to, like, be kind of spacely complicit in his lifestyle. <laughs> she's so weird to me like the first time you see her she's on the phone with him and she's like should i put harry to bed and it's like midnight and she doesn't know if she put her kid to bed i don't know why and then, that and like, then she asks her me. kid who's like five to bring her a crayon and then a book to write <laughs> on to take down the notes that are notes that she's going to turn around and give to the hitman like Yep. she's she's yeah. part of his plan where he says oh I'm going to call my wife and then he actually calls his wife instead of calling the hitman but then she gets the call from the hitman to deliver the information which is just like one step more convoluted than it needs to be because Mikey insists on call like being honest when he says he's calling his wife because that's the kind of asshole he is he doesn't treat his wife the way Nikki treats his wife is what yeah. he says to him <laughs> you know he, but also she doesn't even know him. him like she has no idea who he is other than I she guess she knows he's a gangster but uh, the the scenes at the end with them just like they're very like long shots. The movie has a lot of um, just uh, what's the what's the I'm forgetting all my technical terminology. But a lot of the movie is like fairly close on both Mikey and Nikki, right? And then he comes home, and there's a lot of like wide shots of them kind of trapped in their weird uh, suburban environments uh, as they try to have a conversation about anything, and it's the most awkward stilted thing that's ever happened. Um, that leads into his like confessions about his insecurities and everything, uh, and then ultimately like ends with th- them barricading the door with their own sofa uh, as Mikey gets shot on their doorstep, which is just a really good image of what all this is, because uh, he's because bar- Mikey's like you know uh, he's not he's never gonna let him in, but he will whisper you should run what's he run like run your cluts or something, um. And he, he will whisper that to himself as his friend gets shot. That's the that's the like limits of uh, empathy uh, that right. remain at the end of this movie. <laughs> While he's holding the door shut himself, uh, it's a really good ending. All this this great movie and Elaine May, what only directed one more movie after this. Uh, that's because it's Ishtar, and I've heard that it's good, but I remember it being a, like a punching bag when I was a child. Like it was well, a, yeah. oh, cool, a Hollywood in joke. Yeah, this movie kind of Mikey and Nikki kind of uh, gave her this reputation for being difficult, which is hilarious considering all she was trying to do was preserve her artistic integrity. And because she was a woman, it was like, oh, I guess you won't direct a movie until the eighties, uh, because paramount and her got into it about just the uh her raise like raising the budget by filming so much and all this <laughs> stuff uh and then like her and her husband at the time like smuggled some of the negatives so that paramount couldn't because i guess with her film before this uh they had like essentially released it in a cut that they'd like usurped her to make and she was trying to prevent that from happening again uh and it kind of it just it ruined her career Mm. Mm -hmm. 
I haven't seen her other movies, but I definitely will now. I only know her through comedy uh, because she she and Mike Nichols had that yes legendary improv group uh, Nichols and May, uh, and and they like famously, you know. Uh, quit when they were like the hottest in town and then uh didn't work again until the bird cage i think maybe i don't remember <laughs> <laughs> do you have any more like broad thoughts or do we want to go to the questions because now we've got a few questions uh i think i've talked about everything i have this movie's fantastic if you have the means uh, it's on criterion network at least for now i don't think it's like in the collections so oh no it is it totally is you put up the the image of the cover so yes yes. uh should just be there uh, long term you know if you ever get a free weekend or free trial two-week trial or something of uh criterion collection check this out it's very good oh it's so good it is so so good uh by the way, uh, I have not watched enough Columbo. It is time to watch Columbo. <laughs> it is time Peter to watch Falk Columbo. It's so good. <laughs> uh, the, the worst thing is now I'm just going to think that Columbo is like an extremely yeah. menacing figure. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there, there's a scene where he goes into that the black uh, bar and they start to like get into a skirmish with like a few guys because essentially Mickey's just being an asshole. Uh in the club and everybody's like don't touch them they're cops they're cops and i thought i was like is that a colombo joke like <laughs> i mean they look extremely like cops they, yeah they do look like cops cop cop jackets oh colombo <laughs> i've never seen an episode of colombo it was on forever I've- like ever <laughs> my only colombo reference is that episode of seinfeld where kramer pretends to be colombo oh yeah, it's a it's a pretty good show. It, it carry uh Peter Falk carries it. So <laughs> if you liked him in this, watch Columbo. There's like a billion movies and episodes. When ran till two thousand and three? What? Well, off and on. Like it officially ended in like nineteen ninety, but it was on since the seventies. Then and then they did a bunch of films. Wait, but there's only this is a British show. This is a British show. <laughs> it's been on for forty years, but there's only like sixty nine episodes in over ten seasons. Uh, and there's a bunch of specials. That, this is how this is the British show. This is what the BBC. Does. It was. I also very didn't realize popular. that it was sixty nine episodes. I assumed it would be like four hundred. Me too. Me too. I thought it was the murder she wrote, where there's like literally hundreds of episodes. <laughs> uh, it ran from 69 to 2003, but only um, 69 episodes in that time. Because I think of Murder, She Wrote, and Columbo as, like, kind of the same thing. Um, just kind of like uh, unassuming detectives. But uh, Murder, She Wrote is 264 episodes. Woo! Uh, I found a little bit of an internet renaissance these days. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I found a fun fact about this movie. Uh, Okay, so editing entered its second year. Paramount sought to take the film away from May. She's purported to have taken two reels of the original camera negative, thus preserving her control over the project. Houseman, I think that's uh, her husband at the time, recalls a visit by police officers looking for the material during this period. Asked if he knew where Mikey and Nikki lived, he pointed to his cats. (laughs) Good. That's good. It's very funny. Oh, it was the producer. I'm sorry, not her husband. (laughs) Are we ready for questions then? Yeah. Yes. Should I okay. let we trade off? Yeah, sure. You can go first. Uh, well, I hadn't led them up, but I have now, I think. How if you yes? have questions, you can send them to podcast at abnormalmapping.com. Uh, you can ask about anything, not just what we're watching. Uh, we like questions about all sorts of stuff. And we definitely put up the call for questions extremely late this time. So we've got questions about all sorts of stuff. Uh, we like that. We like having questions about random stuff. Yes. Uh, so we first have a question from uh, Sniper7 from the Discord. Uh, I mean, it's an email, but that's where we know you from. Hello. Thank you for the question. Uh, which uh, first asks, uh, what is your favorite Shakespeare play, considering you talked about Throne of Blood uh, recently? Uh, mine's Henry V. Uh, mine's Titus Andronicus. Mine's Othello. Why? Because uh, I read it in... <laughs> 
That's the most condescending question I've ever heard. No, I was nice asking both of you. I am so sorry. I did not mean it like that. I, I like it. I like a fellow. A fellow's good. I like it. Because Em said, that's the most condescending question I've ever heard. And then you said, I was asking both of you. I was genuinely curious why those. I like Titus Andronicus because it's insi- it's essentially just a grindhouse movie. Yes. Uh, go on. Why do you like Othello? And I I didn't mean it in a bad way. I I like that no, I play it's a lot. Very funny. I'm sorry. Uh, that's good. It's good. Um, I read it in um in school and it was the one that convinced me that Shakespeare was like actually good because I realized it was just every television show right like just uh, all the Iago stuff of this shit bag joking to camera basically uh, <laughs> it was the thing that made me realize that Shakespeare is just still very good uh, after having some very like just very bad experiences being taught Romeo and Juliet which I I I, I kind of like it uh, these days but I definitely had a bad time at school with it whereas you know the only things I really remember about it. Uh, uh, bite my thumb, you know, like yeah, <laughs> the classics of going to school <laughs> and learning Shakespeare means a lot of people joking about bite my thumb, which is honestly a more earnest engagement with Romeo and Juliet than my teachers were giving. Because <laughs> it is, funny. it's a joke when he says bite my thumb. Yeah, it's funny. That whole play is jokes. Like yep. there's so many jokes in that in Romeo and Juliet, and one of the shocking moments for me was. Reading it in high school, thinking that I knew it, and then reading it again in college and realizing they took out all the dick jokes when I read it in high Wait, school. Wait, they took out all the dick jokes from your copy? Yeah, like, whatever version we were reading must have been in one of those readers, which is just, like, a compilation of uh, texts that they would make. Like, every grade had one. And I'm pretty sure ours, like, was heavily abridged and edited like crazy but yeah they took all the dick jokes from the very beginning of romeo and juliet out uh and the secondary question is uh what is a like setting like unconventional setting for shakespeare that you that you would like um i don't know if we have any answers for this i don't i don't i didn't really think about this much myself other than to say that i did i was in one once as like a theater project in school that was a the fuck what was it um what is the Shakespeare tale of what is it? What's the Shakespeare play with the uh, twins, the, the two genders being confused? Uh, is it much ado? No, it's not much ado about nothing. It's the Twelfth um, Night. I have no idea. Twelfth Night. Twelfth Night. Yes. that's it. I was in that, okay. but I was like, it, it was in like a music hall thing in the eighteen hundreds or something. It wasn't good, but that's what I did in my teen years. <laughs> I think uh, it'd be I, funny. Oh, go on. No, you go ahead. Mine's kind of a dumb answer. <laughs> Oh, I was, mine is also dumb. I was going to say it'd be funny if it was just, like, regular-ass office workers with, like, texting each other and stuff like that. Like, I just think it'd be funny to see a lot of, like, how the internet would uh, affect a lot of this. I don't know. I mean, I would, I would also like if Joss Whedon made more uh, Shakespeare adaptations with his friends over weekends, because it's much better than any of his other work. Were there internet references in that? No, but it, I mean, it was just like set in the modern day, but using the same script. And I, I yeah, thought that movie like, was really good. So I loved it. Yeah, no, I I just wish there was one that like kind of played with technology in this in the vein of like are. the the well, just like. I haven't seen any, I guess, and, yes. and so I, I'd like to seek them out, so if you know any, shoot me a tweet. And, uh, yeah, no, I just, in the vein of, like, uh, the uh, Ethan Hawke Hamlet in a blockbuster, but as uh, modern as possible. <laughs> uh, I just want to see uh, Shakespeare performed in the original Klingon. <laughs> You've really been sitting on that for, like, ten minutes. Yes. It's okay. (laughs) My actual answer is if I could get the 90s Star Trek team to just shoot Klingons doing Shakespeare, like a whole ass play, like no joke other than we just did it, uh, that would be amazing. Would it be in Klingon or would it just be Klingons doing Shakespeare? I don't don't really care. I think think it would be uh, more extra to do it in Klingon, but I think they should just do it in English like the show does. So. God, I, that would rule. That rule. Yes. <laughs> but you, no one could do it now because it would be a joke. Yeah, it'd be too knowing. Um, the but. other thing I found out about this movie is that one of the taglines was, Mikey and Nikki, don't expect to like them. <laughs> well, I don't, so it's success. That's Good amazing. <laughs> Good job. 
so we have some questions from Tron. Uh, the first one, if you could live in New York City during the 1970s, would you? Even if just for a small amount of time. Um, my answer is extremely yes. In fact, I don't think I'd want to go back. I think it's a ridiculous, cool time to live in. Like, I will I be having any fun? No, but I love these movies so much. I don't care. I think the fantasy is better than rea- the reality. Having visited New York City once in 2009. Yeah, uh, but that was like post-cleanup New York City, right? Yeah, that's what I mean. But like, even then, it was so busy and alive and overwhelming. Even then. <laughs> uh, and I can't even imagine just like this pre-Giuliani like it just doesn't it seems so surreal I don't understand it, what New York is if you can't tweet about it <laughs> <laughs> I mean but these movies right like it, it, my oh speaking of okay this is in Philadelphia but one of the best scenes uh, with like average ass townspeople interacting with <laughs> um, Nikki uh, was he goes into this candy store <laughs> And the guy, like, he asks the guy for ice cream. He's like, we don't have ice cream. And he pulls out his gun and makes sure he can seize the gun. And he's like, everything we have is what you see. Because <laughs> he's not going to, he's done this before. He knows what's up. He's still opening yeah. at fucking two in the morning <laughs> for his he candy store. He does not store. put up with shit. Like, who's buying candy at 2 a.m.? Nikki. <laughs> uh, Tron also asks, what do you think of monster mo- or mobster movies in general? I feel like I am mostly over them. I've seen every Scorsese film. <laughs> I'm tired. I haven't seen that many, but it's not a genre I'm like super into. Mm-hmm. Um, like you know, I've never seen The Godfather or anything. I haven't seen The Sopranos, which you know the TV show, but it's a one that everyone sees. The Sopranos is one of my favorite television shows of all time, but not because it's a mob show, but because I just, I, I just like characters and I, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's not a genre that I'm like drawn to on the face of it, but obviously watching that show, like the whole thing is a commentary on those movies and, uh, I, I, I can't say I was well-versed in them before I came to The Sopranos, but uh, Sopranos is the only mob thing I truly, deeply love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I've seen Goodfellas, but I wasn't really that into it. No, it's 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 bad. I don't think it's bad. No, I it's actually really like bad. it. It's just, well, I, I feel like it's uh, very oversold uh, across a certain type of, like, early film person, right? Well, like, one of the things that changed my perspective on it was... In, like, the last 10 or 15 years, they started showing it on Lifetime. A lot. <laughs> and, like, that's, that's if, if, if that's you don't know, it's called Television for Women. And it was, like, uh, female-geared programming, mostly, like, true crime and stories about domestic violence. And uh, the fact that they just put Goodfellas on the regular movie rotation... Uh, kind of made me appreciate it more. <laughs> it's so, more honest about Goodfellas than anything that you talk to Goodfellas fans. Yeah, agreed. So um, I like the idea of women just getting into this movie because it was on Lifetime. And then, uh, next question, uh, did the beer cans in the first bar look cool to you? Which I think is interesting because Destiny is a beer drinker, Jackson's a milk drinker, I imbibe both, <laughs> but not together, which is what Mikey and Nikki were doing in the what most the horrifying... <laughs> it upset me it, isn't that to... Isn't as a... disgusting as I think it is? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so nasty. Oh. I-, I already have this weird association of, like, milk being put into drinks as a 70s staple in my mind. This... Anybody who like lived through the seventies, just email me or whatever, and tell me no that one, I'm wrong. No one who lived like, through the seventies listens to this. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, but like, it okay? Laverne and Shirley, the uh, uh, Gary Marshall television show. Uh, Laverne's like staple signature drink was milk and Pepsi, so they're already like linked in my mind, and I didn't even comprehend that you could just have milk with beer like that and, and as a lactose intolerant person that's like the last thing i want to see when i'm drinking beer is a fucking glass of milk 
Oh, that was upsetting. <laughs> uh, okay, Tron also asked some non-specific to this movie questions. Uh, what are your thoughts on Star Wars The Last Jedi, and are you excited for Rise of Skywalker? Uh, oh, I thought Last Jedi didn't go far enough. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not excited for The Last, uh, for Last Skywalker now. <laughs> Uh, I thought uh, The Last Jedi was basically the best thing you could ever expect out of Star Wars. I don't think you could make a movie that is more critical of itself under the auspices of what big budget movies are. Um, It's a real shame they just immediately gave it back to J.J. Abrams to fuck up. Uh, I thought thought the trailer for Rise of Skywalker was legitimately depressing to watch, so... It was so funny because I watched uh, Last Jedi Day One, so I came out of it going, "Man, this really sacrificed all of its ability to be a subversive and interesting for, to, for the sake of being really nakedly fan pleasing." And then the next two two years happened, uh, yes, which, which really owned me. I am indifferent to Star Wars. Um, I liked the Last Jedi just fine. I'm curious about the Last Star, Star- Skywalker. Um, or the whatever the frig it's called. <laughs> Rise of Skywalker. Uh, Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> There's too many, like, similar movie titles. I'm like, yes. The Rise of the Tomb Raider, Skywalker, what? Okay, um. <laughs> There's just too, like, all these things sound so similar. Like, they don't, there's no the original Sith. movie titles. It's very obnoxious. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I don't really care. I'll probably get dragged to it because, I re- like, I'm curious, but you- it's not. Sorry? I was like, do, do, do you think you're going to go? You uh, have to go, well, right? my um, M's brother really, really wants to see it and doesn't want to go alone. So I'll probably end up seeing it with him. And then, uh, as far as my Star Wars opinions go, Rogue One was the best Star Wars movie. And if you're not going to make a bunch of movies like that, I'm not going to be there. <laughs> I yelled out for that opinion daily, but it's true. I mean, it's uh, most, Revenge most of the smart Sith's people the best I Star know. Wars. That, that, that's the other acceptable choice to me. <laughs> I did not like that movie. Um, well, then you'll and then, and then, Tron, <laughs> and then Tron's last question was uh, thoughts about Godzilla, original Godzilla. I love owns. it. It's good. It owns. <laughs> it's real good. Oxygen real smart. Destroyer. Real People beautiful. should watch Godzilla. I wanted my oxygen destroyer to be used for good, not evil. <laughs> Jackson, you want to read Autumn's questions? We're running out of time. We have a hard out. Uh, we do have a hard out. Um, Autumn, we had read this out of time. Autumn has written it and asked us, "When was the last time you got mad about the Oscars?" Uh, but Oscars is spelt with an apostrophe. Is that how it actually is? I thought that was an online quirk, but now I'm like, wait, is it actually? I don't I, actually I don't know. know. I don't uh, think so. Anyway, I don't think so. About a decade ago, I don't care. The last time I really, really cared about the Oscars was probably like 2013, 2012, or yeah, somewhere around there. Um, but I'm sure I'm mad about something related to the Oscars every year, even if I don't pay too much attention. I'm sad that they've stopped doing those um, uh, Oscar ballot articles. They were always good fun for that. Do they not like do the, those anymore? They don't didn't do them this year. Huh. I, I, what won the Oscars this year? I don't even know. Was it Green Book? Uh, Green, Green Book. Book. Win? Green oh, Book. Oh, great. Yeah. Great. 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 Fuck it's so great. funny because nobody seems to remember. <laughs> Everyone talks about Bohemian Rhapsody. This is like the second podcast I've come across where like somebody's like, what won? I don't even remember. Uh, and we have another question from Autumn uh, that isn't joking about the Oscars. Uh, it is, uh, what are some movies you love, uh, you love now, that you absolutely did not get the first time you saw them? Uh, I'll go first with a very obvious answer. 2001. Oh hey, you know that it, that's definitely one of them for me. It Mine's the Shining. The Kubrick. I, didn't I like really Death hated to the Shining. Smoochie. Oh sorry. No, go ahead. I was just gonna say I didn't like Death to Smoochie until I saw it the second time. Huh. It's a good movie. It is a good movie. Um, oh though, brother, where art thou? I, I, you didn't like it, brother, where art thou? First time? Not the first time I saw no. it. No. I know it's weird, right? <laughs> This is this is un- intolerable. <laughs> I, can't I, I mean, I like it now. Like I said, it took me a second viewing to really appreciate it. I don't think I understood what they were going for, and it just didn't we hold my it interest. We thought was a frog. Damn, we're in a tight spot. <laughs> <laughs> we're in a tight spot. Uh, I got one that I've done this like 
and then then reversed on uh uh which is the spielberg movie lincoln (laughs) yeah i remember liking that a lot i probably wouldn't like it if i revisited it Uh, and then we have one last email from Nora. What is the first movie you watched in a theater on your own? Uh, who wants to go first? Mine is uh, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Fuck, yeah, it was. Of course it was. <laughs> yes. Of course it was. Yep. It's, it's also the movie I've seen most in a theater at seven times. Mine it's is amazing. The... Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> Speaking of mob movies, my, the first movie I ever saw on my own, uh, there was a communication error between me and a friend, and I ended up watching this movie alone. It was 2001's Quirky Romano, starring oh. Piss Catan. Oh my god. <laughs> Peter Falk is in it. Okay. Wow, it must be good. <laughs> He's good in it. We'll say that much. Um, mine is the first Hunger Games movie because I'm a child. Yep. Yeah, I was a grown ass woman when those came out. <laughs> I I think I was eighteen when that when I when that came out. Uh yeah, I would have been sixteen when uh, Fellowship of the Ring came out. So yeah, same same area. Yeah. Uh, but no, Destiny was know. also around six, 15, 16 when Quirky Romano came out, so that works out. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I went to it and realized, oh, I can, I can just go to the cinema whenever I want. I don't have to badger people or go with friends I hate. <laughs> I actually don't like going to movies alone. Me either. Lots of people like it, because it's like, yeah, you, you just it just feels good. I don't know. I just... It, uh, I just don't like it. <laughs> Well, I don't have any friends, so I have to go on my own. I'm your friend. I'd go to movies with you. Unfortunately, you're too far away for that. <laughs> we could just watch movies together. That's something we could totally do. It's true. We can also end this podcast, because we've got to do another one. Let's well, next time, what are we watching, Jackson? Shit! Right, I chose this on like a whim. Uh, we are watching the movie Election uh, from, I think it's 1999 or something. Alexander Payne movie. Yes, not to be confused with the other movie election. I mean, I assume there's multiple movies with the name. What's the, the, the I was, I was the 2005 Johnny Cho, Cho action movie. That's the one. I have no idea what that is. Oh, well, uh, sorry. There's another one. <laughs> yeah, what about Hometown Boys? Alexander Payne representing. Yep. Uh, it's a movie I watched a few years ago and really enjoyed, and I'm curious whether it will hold up. I don't know. It's been a, been a few years, so I'm I'm very interested, uh, and I'd like to revisit it. And so I picked Election. Weirdly, um, I've never seen it. If you're in the UK, it's on uh, Amazon Prime and Now TV, and also DVD and Blu-ray and everything. Uh, it is not too hard to find. You can rent it here for three dollars. Yeah. It's on, on like Voodoo, but I. Look, find movies the way you're going to find movies. <laughs> it's Tubi? not on a readily available streaming service. What is eat... Tubi? I don't know. Okay, just put, throw like $3 to a big corporation's way. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Please Maybe torrent you can the find film. The movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's anyway, that's next, it. Next time. Where can people find you online, Destiny? At Fridge Buzz Now, pretty much everywhere. Jackson. I am at Headfuls Off. Uh, you can find other podcasts we do at abnormalmapping.com. There's a bunch of them there. We uh, we do abnormal mapping. It's a video game podcast. Uh, we, we do a whole bunch of podcasts. You're doing a new one soon, but I don't think you're announcing it. No, I'm not announcing it. If you want to listen to another movie podcast on our network, none of us are on it, but you can listen to Seasons. You go to abnormalmapping.com, yeah. look for Seasons. They're currently doing a thing on Miyazaki films. Um, I have an upcoming podcast that is movie related. Uh, there'll be more about that at the end of August, early September. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Yep. Um, if you want to support the network, of course, all the podcasts help me, Jackson, Destiny, live and eat. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash mapping. And for $1, you will get our Gundam podcast, which is me and Jackson talking Gundam and other anime every week. Uh, it's called The Great Gundam Project. It's very good. Um, and, you know, you get to support us. Jackson's been doing movie writing at our $5 tier. Yes. Um, 
I don't know if that's going to continue uh, in perpetuity, but it is there. There's I a mean, lot of movie talk in there. It's weekly for the next guys. couple of weeks at least. It's what I chose to do to make sure that I can get because I've got a Patreon without a backlog. Me too. Me too. <laughs> but uh, what do you recommend <laughs> movies? Because you watch them, takes you two hours to make, maybe takes you another two hours to write the letter, or half an hour if you're you. Um, yeah. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at em underscore being, and of course, if you want to go to our Discord, you can find the link on the website again, abnormalmapping.com, and uh, hang out, talk about movies with us. Uh, it's good. I think that's everything. So I think it is. Uh, until next time, watch a movie. That's it. That's our tagline. That's our outro. <laughs> You're not going to like them. Yeah, don't expect to like them. Don't expect to like them. <laughs> don't expect to like them. Like we Please. absolutely take that one. <laughs>